begin this series, uh, Pastor Magine taught a lesson a couple weeks ago in my absence, and then I kind of retaught it again last week. So we're about a, a lesson in the series, one behind. So I want to combine two parts of that today, and I will do my best not to make it twice as long in order to accomplish that. So one of the, the greatest analogies of who the people of God are is that of a family. We often talk about the family of God. We call each other brother and sister. And that's because of this whole thing that God has set us up as his people, as a family. He didn't set it up as a club. He didn't set it up as a society or a team. He put us together as a family, a church family. <clears throat> and it's nice to know that for a lot of people that don't have a, a functional nuclear family, that they can still enjoy and rejoice in the fact that he has provided a spiritual or a church family so that they would not live in, in isolation. A lot of people, the only family they have at, at some point in their life is often just their church family. And it's, if it weren't for that, then they would just be by themselves. So God has set us up in this, this system of, of church, if you would put it in that way, of a, of a family. And today I want us to look at the importance of, of our spiritual or our church family that God has brought together. We're going to read in the book of Ruth. In fact, let's start in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Aphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. <coughs> now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one married Orpah and the other married Ruth, after they had lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So we see at the beginning of the book of Ruth that there was a famine that occurred in the land of Israel. And because of that family, this man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons moved from Bethlehem in Judah. Judah was the, the southern portion of Israel. They had split what used to be just Israel into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And they moved from there because of the famine to a country, a area called Moab. The trip was not a long one. If you look at a map, you'll see that that Judah is on one side of the Dead Sea and Moab is just on the other side. It could have been as short a trip as 50 miles, but when you're walking, 50 miles could take some time to get there. But it wasn't a, a, a months and months type journey. The move was probably intended to be a temporary one. If you look in, in verse 2, it says that they went for a while. And I would guess that that means that they went for a while planning on coming back. And I believe the reason they went there was because Elimelech had heard that Moab had been unaffected by the famine. If you read on through the book of Ruth, you'll see that the move brought great changes to the family. Over a 10-year period of time, Elimelech died. The two sons married Moabite women. And then both of the sons died. And that left Naomi in a foreign land with only her two daughters-in-law. And
and they were Moabite people. The, the law of Moses forbade the Israelites from marrying Canaanite women, but it did not prohibit them from marrying women of Moab because through a bloodline they were still some, somewhat in the, the tribes. However, if they married a, a woman from Moab, their male children to the tenth generation could not enter into the assembly of the Lord. That's quite a while. So it would probably stop somebody from marrying somebody from Moab because knowing that their children for ten generations down could not even enter into the tabernacle, into the, the assembly of the Lord. And that was because the Moabites had acted horribly toward the Israelites during their exodus from Egypt. And they ended up being kind of enemies. They fought off and on all through the Old Testament. So there was this certain rules put on the, the Israelites in dealing with the Moabites. They could marry, but there were restrictions once they married for their children. One of the greatest dangers of that I think the reason God did not want them to be marrying the Canaanites or the Moabites or the Ammonites was the fact that all of those areas served many idols. And God had told them over and over that He was the one and true, one only God. And the Israelites, we see time and time again, had a real problem with falling into worshiping idols. <clears throat> in fact, the, the famine in Judah that drove Elimelech and his family out of Judah was probably due to the fact that they were worshiping idols. Principally, one idol named Baal, who was, in their eyes, the, he was the, the god of the Canaanites that controlled the moisture of the earth. And since he controlled the moisture of the earth, the Canaanites felt like he had a great hand in how the harvest turned out. Since rain and all of those things were important to the harvest, so the Israelites had started worshiping Baal, and God sent a famine to the land to show them that Baal really didn't have any power over the, the agriculture of, of the land. So here we see that this family of Israelites have moved to Moab. The sons have married Moabite women. The husband dies, the, the sons die, and Naomi finds herself in a foreign land without any means of support. In the culture of that day, widows had no social economic or political standing in society. So without any male members of her family, Naomi was left without a glimmer of hope for the future. She had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And she was in a foreign land. Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and then verses 14 and 16. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people, this is back in Israel, by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on a road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. At this they wept again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. But Ruth urged, replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from here. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, 
my God. So in verse 6, we see that Naomi hears that the famine has ended back in Judah. Remember, it's been 10 years. It's specified, it's interesting to note, that the, the famine was ended by the Lord God of Israel. I think that was specifically to note that Baal had absolutely nothing to do with it. When she heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Baal again is out. So Naomi set out to return to Judah, along with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. She also knew that the prospects of Ruth and Orpah finding husbands back in Judah wasn't very good. Remember, anybody in Judah, a young man that would marry one of these women, their sons could not go into the tabernacle for ten generations. So they were going to be shunned, most likely, by the men in Judah. So knowing this, Naomi says, why don't you girls go back home? Find a, a husband back in Moab. And she gives a blessing to them. And she says that, she, she blesses them and says that the Lord will show kindness, the same kind of kindness that you showed to your now dead husbands. The word translated kindness here is a word that we have become familiar with in our study of the Old Testament, and it was the word hased. Again, hased meaning mercy or grace. Grace being something that we receive that we are not worthy of. It's used several times in the book of Ruth, and it's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. Hased. Remember when we studied about David and, and Abimelech, there was that same kind of, of hased that was shown between the two of them. So as the three women wept aloud, Naomi urged both of them to return to Moab. Orpah finally agreed, and she said, I'll, I'll go back, and they hugged, and she returned to Moab. But Ruth clung to her mother-in-law and said, I'm not leaving you. And although Orpah returned to Moab and had prospects, better prospects of marrying, Ruth said, it really doesn't matter what happens to me at this point. I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. She gave up her possible prospects of a marriage, of a husband and children. She forsook the family in Moab that she had, her homeland, her, even her religion of the people of Moab, all to care for her widowed mother-in-law, in a strange new country. She said, I will give up everything that I have to go and take care of you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Whoever's people you have, they'll be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth's family, specifically Naomi, meant a lot to her. I'm sure her family back in Moab meant a lot to her. 
But she was willing to abandon that family in Moab. And she was unwilling to abandon the relationship that she had with Naomi. Just to make life easier for herself. She chose to, to follow a road that was less followed. She didn't take the easy way out. The easy way out would have been to say, Naomi, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go back to Moab. I'll get married. I'll have children. I'll be taken care of. The prospects of going back to Judah don't look good because you don't have anything. You're poor. And I'll be poor too. But there was some kind of a relationship there that said, I won't do that. I will not abandon you at this point. As we continue in this, this series, you'll see that that Ruth's commitment to Naomi eventually paid off in huge dividends. Not forsaking that relationship paid off to Ruth and Naomi. All of us have at least one family. might be a blood family. might be our church family. It might be uh, parts of friends that we consider family. But no matter who we consider to be our family, we need to show them the same type of devotion as Ruth showed toward Naomi in her time of need. We all need our families, but we have to realize that our families need us too. And when the members of our families, when we give them support and encouragement and the affirmation that they need, we'll more, more often than not, we'll find that they give the same thing back to us. It's important. Sometimes we take for granted that because they're family, that they'll just always be there. And we just assume those things until something happens and we realize that maybe they won't always be there. And then a lot of times we find ourselves drawing closer to those family members, but then as time goes on, we kind of drift back away. Maybe you're not that way. It's funny how technology changes things. When we talk about extended family, I... One of those things is prayer needs. I, I remember growing up that if someone was sick, like a couple weeks ago when, when Bishop Goldsberry fell sick out here in the, in the fellowship hall, people would have gotten on the phone and started calling people who would have called people. And we even had a thing officially called the prayer line. And this person would call this person, this call, person would call this person. And to an extent, we still do something like that. But now there's this tech-savvy version of the prayer line. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. There's these online social networking things like Facebook. I found myself that as, as my dad was, whatever was going on with him in the fellowship hall, I thought it would be easier rather than me call everybody, I'll just get on my Blackberry and put it on Facebook that you need to pray for Bishop Goldsberry because we think he just had a heart attack. Boom. By the end of the day, I can't even tell you how many people had come back and said, we're praying for Bishop Goldsberry. We have our church praying for Bishop Goldsberry. Then it just blew up from there. It's amazing how technology has kind of changed who our family is. And I say that because a lot of the people that responded to that, I don't even know them. I don't even know who they are. I've never met them. They're, they're what would be called in today's society as Facebook friends. Anybody have Facebook friends? See, there's some people here that know what I'm talking about. And there's this relationship that you have with Facebook friends. 
So we see that, that our family is not just our blood family and the people that we, that we support and care about and we pray for and, and we, we are there for them when they need that extends even as far out to people that we don't even know personally. And here's why I say it's important. The day that that happened with Bishop Goldsberry, a young man that used to go to church, his whole family used to go to church here, John Buchholz, sent a message back, I'll be praying for your dad. Within a week, John posted something, please pray for my dad. You see, that's what, what we're talking about, is that we know that our family needs us, but we need them too. And those relationships, no matter how close or, or maybe these fringe-type relationships such as Facebook friends, they count too. And we have to show that same kind of love and that same kind of caring and that, that, that spirit of, of affirmation and concern for those type of people because they're all a part of our big family. And I believe that the, the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Naomi, it shows how different ones fit into the family to help one another. And that's what I want us to see today, is that it is important for us, yes, to love our blood family and our, our father and mother and our wife and our children, but it's also important for us to love our church family and those that we, we see when we come to church and maybe a few times during the week, but it's also important for us to, to love and care for those people that are outside of that too. Because we'll see in this same story, there's a person that gets involved in this that they don't even know. Here's what the, the story of Ruth really speaks to me. It's a person saying, I am here if you need me, even if it's inconvenient for me. That's pretty much what Ruth said to Naomi. I'll go with you. The easy way is to go back to Moab, but I'm not going to do that. It's an attitude of, even as Christians far too many times gets lost in our busy schedule. We love people. We say we love people. But if we're not careful, even as Christians, we get too busy to be there for people when they need us. Because a lot of times, even our blood family, that's true. Because too many times, the easier way is just not to get involved. But Ruth is this unbelievable example of not taking the easy way and staying loyal to the people in her family. And I believe today more than ever, we need to be asking God to bind us closer to our families. Not just our blood families, but bind us closer as a church family. With the things that are going on in the world, if there was ever a time that we should be drawing our families in and our friends and those fringe family in to support one another, it would be in today's time. We need that. You might say, well, I just don't really need anybody right now. There will come a time when I assure you, you will need someone. It might not be right now. Right now might be the time when they need you. But it will turn around and at some point you will be looking for someone to help you. Ruth's devotion didn't end 
with returning to Judah with Naomi. It wasn't just a matter of, okay, I'll go back with you and, you know, I'll just, um, I'll be there, I'll kind of be around. No, when they got back, they found themselves with no means of support, which meant somebody had to go get food. And Ruth said, I'll go out and do it. Again, this is not her mother, this is her mother-in-law. So Ruth went to one of the fields to glean, and it happened to be the field of one of Naomi's relatives named Boaz. The process of harvesting in that day was that the harvesters would go through the fields and they would work the fields, and then the servant girls would come behind them, they would pick up the grain, and once that was done, they would let the poor people of the land come in and pick up whatever the servant girls didn't pick up. That was called gleaning. They got to pick up whatever was left. It's interesting to note that the system that was put into place to take care of the poor required them to go out and work. But that's a whole other subject. We won't go there. Ruth chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. 5 through 12. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, who is that young woman there? Now, Ruth is out in the field of Boaz. She's been out there all day. Go ahead. The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the, she among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow after, along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go over and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? a foreigner, and this is where it all comes together. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we see that Ruth was in the field. She was gleaning. She wasn't in the first wave of people picking up the grain. She was in the wave of poor people that picked up what was left. And Boaz notices her and he says to his foreman, Who is that? and finds out she is the young woman that came to town with Naomi. It's interesting that the things that the foreman noted to Boaz was Ruth's courtesy and her ethic of hard work. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things he could have pointed out, she's a hard worker. She's been out there since the morning. She has not stopped working all day long except for a very short break she took to go sit in the shelter. Just a short time. So Boaz goes out and he talks to her and he invites her to, to stay in his field. 
Instead of leaving and going to another field, just stay here and work. And I'll tell these men, don't anybody touch you. In fact, he told her that she could follow his servant girls, showing that his intention was that she was going to be taken care of. You just stay with my servant girls. When they take a break, you go with them. And Ruth asked that question in verse 10 that was probably because this gesture of kindness was so unexpected. She says, why would you do this? You don't know me. Why are you showing this type of kindness? It was unexpected. She is a foreigner. The, the, the society levels of people, the foreigners were at the bottom. And not only was she a foreigner, she was a poor foreigner. And yet here is this man that owns his field coming out and showing this kindness. And the answer comes in verse 11 where Boaz explains that he's heard about how she sacrificed for Naomi. What you've done, I've heard about that. Isn't that interesting how what we do gets around? I will assure you that if it had been bad, it would have gotten around just as fast. Maybe faster. But the goodness and her love and her devotion and her kindness that she showed towards Naomi has gotten around even back to this man Boaz and he says, I'm doing it because of your kindness towards your mother-in-law. He knew she was a Moabitess. Wow. He was touched by her unselfish actions. And he prayed, may you be richly rewarded by the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And it's an extraordinary prayer. And this is, this is something I want us to really grasp here. This prayer is so extraordinary because it, considering that Boaz himself would be used of God to answer that prayer. Boaz said, may the Lord God of Israel bless you. And at the time, I'm sure he wasn't thinking that he would be the one through whom that would be done. He invited Ruth to come eat with him and his workers. And Ruth ate from the, the roasted corn that Boaz gave her and what was she had some left over and she wrapped it up and took it to Naomi along with the, the grain that she had gleaned that day. When she got home, I, I think Naomi immediately realized the special favor that had been done. The first thing that Naomi did was to bless this unknown benefactor. I don't know who he is that did this, but it's special. And then she learned that the field belonged to Boaz, one of her relatives. And she repeated her blessing, but specifically this time naming Boaz in the blessing. Then in chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi explains this concept that they had. There was this concept called the kinsman redeemer. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll try to give you the, the short version of kinsman redeemer. As a kinsman redeemer, Boaz could redeem property that had been sold outside the family. So if Naomi had property and it had been sold for whatever reason because she was poor, he could actually go as a kinsman redeemer and buy that property back to keep it in the family line. The most important thing that people had in that day was a piece of property. In some cases, that's all they had. And it was important to pass it down from father to son to grandson and on down the family line, and it always stayed in the family. So the kinsman redeemer 
if a husband died, this closest relative could go and buy that property back and keep it in the family line. Boaz just happened to be one of those people. The kinsman redeemer had to be the closest family member who was willing to do this. Remember, Ruth's husband's brother died in Moab also. So there were no other brothers to take the place. So another close relative could act in this, in this regard. The law required the, the widow to take the initi initiative to seek out that person, that kinsman redeemer, to keep the property in the family. Ruth 3, verses 1 through 7. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know who you are, don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So Ruth does what Naomi tells her. And then if you read on, it says that Boaz was startled in the middle of the night, and he wakes up, and he discovers this woman laying at his feet. He asks the obvious question. Ruth 3, 9 through 11, he says, Who are you? I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread a corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Remember that. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen, all my fellow townsmen, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz says, who are you? She says simply, I'm your servant, Ruth. Boaz prays this blessing upon Ruth. Remember the blessing he had, he had prayed on her earlier. He said, I pray, because of your kindness, Naomi, I pray that the Lord God of Israel will bless you abundantly. And now here was his opportunity to fulfill that blessing. How many times do we see a need and pray for God to meet that need when all along God was putting us in the situation to do more than just pray a blessing. A lot of times He put us there to actually follow through and allow Him to use us to be that blessing. But a lot of times it's just easier to pray the blessing. Yeah, I'll just pray that God will bless you. and bless you too. Yeah, I see your need. 
But isn't it interesting that, that Boaz back several days before had prayed the blessing and all of a sudden now he has the opportunity to be that blessing and he has to make a choice. Do I just keep praying blessings on her or do I take the opportunity to actually be a blessing? And a lot of times we have that same choice. Do we continue just to say, I'll pray for you, or do we actually do something about it when we have the choice? Boaz's response to Ruth indicated that everything she had done that night was completely proper and culturally correct. You haven't done anything wrong? Everybody in town knows that you are a good woman. Don't worry about anything. And then once again, Boaz invokes God bless, God's blessing on Ruth. And he addresses her as my daughter. Probably because Boaz was more the age toward the age of Naomi than he was the age of Ruth. And we know that because one thing he pointed out is that Ruth didn't chase after the younger men, which kind of indicates that he wasn't one of them. Your kindness is great because you, you would even consider an old guy like me. He told her that her willingness to marry him showed even greater kindness than what Ruth showed to Naomi. Wow. And... and Boaz knew exactly why Ruth was doing this. She was doing it more for Naomi than she was doing it for herself. It wasn't Ruth's property that needed to be redeemed. It wasn't Ruth's family line that needed to be kept intact. It was Naomi's and Elimelech. And to Ruth, this must have seemed like a, a very frightening and forward way to have a marriage proposal because she wasn't used to that but Boaz assured her that he would do all that she had asked of him because he and everyone else in the town knew that Ruth was a woman of noble character Ruth was hard-working we saw that by what the foreman said she was loving and kind, we see that by the way she treated Naomi. And she was brave because she didn't take the easy way and go back to Moab. She went to Judah. All of these are admirable qualities. But these qualities are, were only apparent to everyone because she displayed them consistently in her life. The reason that everybody in town knew that she was a woman of noble character is because they saw the way she lived her life. And to honor this, Boaz showed Ruth and Naomi great kindness and blessed them by sharing his abundance with them. Boaz was a wealthy man. They were poor. Look how this changed their life. Just a few days before, it had been a matter of, I'm going to go out and just glean in the field so we have something to eat. And now look where the Lord has brought them. And what was the reason? Her kindness. The kindness that everyone in town saw that Ruth displayed. And the Lord honors our kindness as well. 
He honors our kind actions. And when that happens, undoubtedly people will see God at work. Of course, it helps if we have a good attitude with our kind actions. Because if we're watching, we'll see that almost every day we will have an opportunity to show kindness to someone. If we're paying attention. That is, if we're not so caught up in our our own affairs so much that we don't even take notice. You see, Boaz could have... He could have just ignored the whole thing when he went out to the field that first day and saw Ruth. And he could have said, she's just some poor girl from Moab. But the foreman pointed out some qualities in this girl. She's a hard worker. She's really courteous. And it brought her to Boaz's attention. Her attitude stood out. And I will tell you that a lot of times a bad attitude can easily overshadow an act of kindness. Ruth did not act like it was a burden for her to take care of Naomi. If she had of, Boaz would not have been so impressed in her generosity and kindness. She didn't take the attitude of, well, since you're my mother-in-law, I guess I don't have any choice. I'll just take care of you. No. No. When Naomi said, go back to your home country, she said no. I'll give up everything to make sure that you're okay. And her attitude showed through to everyone around her. There's an old saying that says, everyone lights up a room. Some when they come in and some when they go out. Which are we? The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.32 that we should be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Kind and compassionate to one another. We are to show kindness to those we come in contact with every day. That means our family, to whom we're related to through blood, our church family, and our extended families as well. Just as Ruth showed towards Naomi. Remember, Ruth was not a blood relative of Naomi. Only related by marriage. I believe that it was initially... And see, here's how this this all takes place. I believe that it was initially Naomi's kindness to Ruth that caused Ruth to have the kind of dedication that she showed to her mother-in-law. Naomi was a good mother-in-law. She wasn't the one you hear jokes about all the time. She was a good mother-in-law. And because of that, and because she showed that kind of love and devotion to Ruth, Ruth found it easy to show back to her. Naomi's seeds of kindness in Ruth's heart She sowed seeds of kindness in Ruth's heart. And when the harvest came in, Ruth was there for Naomi in her time of loneliness. But it all started with Naomi. But that's not where our kindness stops. In this story, 
We also see the kind of kindness that Boaz showed to someone who he didn't even know. Who is that woman? Which means, I don't know who she is. When he finds out who she is, let me do something special to help her. And I believe that this story is specifically put in this way so that we know that the kindness that we show is not just to those that we love. We have to show that to the people that we don't even know. Mother Teresa said, Kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. We don't know the impact that a small act of kindness will show to someone. We don't know what that ultimately will be. And sometimes that's all it takes is that kind word. Ruthie and I have been going to a, a little restaurant here, in, actually in Valrico. And we go there about once a week. And we have the same waitress every time we go in. And when we walk in the door, she gets this big smile on her face. Hey, how are y'all doing? And she's glad that we're there. And I'm sure that's not the case with everybody. There's probably some people walk in the door and she goes, oh, no, not them. But we've shown kindness to her. We're not close friends. We're not family. But we have this relationship to the point where the other night when we got through with dinner, she came up to the table and she said, I want to buy you guys dessert. I said, no, you can't do that. No, really. And she brought the ticket over and there was no dessert on it. I said, no, I don't want you to do that. But I really want to. You're my favorite customers. And I said, no, it's okay. Just go back and add it to the ticket. Okay, but I really wanted to buy you all dessert. Now, why is that? Why is that there all of a sudden a relationship there between somebody that we don't really know? Because of kindness. And I will tell you that at the point where we have a chance to actually witness to this young lady, it will mean a whole lot more coming from an act of kindness than if we'd have gone in there and been all grumpy every time we walked in the door. We never know what those little acts of kindness will do. We never know where they will lead. But I will assure you that when those things happen, people will know. Just like all of the people of the town knew of Ruth's noble character. When we do those kind of things, people will know. Colossians 3, 12-14 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Kindness. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Kindness is a characteristic of love. Look in Luke chapter 6 verse 35. 
But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and your, you will be the sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. We live in a world that is filled with devastation. Turn on the news. Earthquakes. War. People going hungry. But what better place is there than that to show kindness to a world that's hurting? If everything in the world was great, a small act of kindness probably wouldn't mean as much. But in the kind of world we're living in today, those small acts mean an awful lot. There's a scripture that, that I'm reminded of from time to time where Jesus said that if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And it all came from where he was talking to them about when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the people said, when did we do that? I don't remember that. He said, anytime you've done it to the least, you've done it as unto me. Simple act of kindness. Jesus had a conversation with a, a, a man who knew the law real well. And it all became over, he's quoted a scripture, to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and the man asked Jesus, well, who is our neighbor? And the result of that was our neighbor is anybody we come in contact with. Who is our family? Obviously, we would say our blood family, those we're related to by blood, our church family, our, our face friends, but also there's some kind of a relationship with those people we don't even know that we're supposed to show kindness to, just like Boaz did. Think of the incredible difference that God's people could make if we would show the kind of kindness that Naomi showed to Ruth and in turn, Ruth showed to Naomi and the type of kindness that Boaz showed to both Naomi and Ruth. Every one of those was a different kind of kindness. We have the greatest message to take to the world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if in our everyday lives we can't show kindness, the kind of kindness that Naomi showed to Ruth and Ruth showed to Naomi... And Boaz showed to both of them, if we can't show that kind of kindness, why would anybody want to stop and listen to the message we have? That old saying that says, your actions speak so loud that I can't hear the words you're saying. We should purpose that we will share the gospel with everyone, our family our extended family, those who we come in contact with on a daily basis. 
But while we know that we should share the gospel to them, we have to realize that the chance of them actually listening will increase if they see godly love and kindness in our lives. God bless you.